0: This is for professional and institutional clients only.
1: A good example of sector coupling is the combined heat and power plants that we operate. So we are producing electricity to the grid. Roughly 30 to 35 percent efficiency is when you produce electricity, but then the rest of the energy content in the fuel supplied there is released as heat because we have combined heat and power plant next to the city. We can use this heat to heat the buildings. That means that we get 2.53 times more energy out of the same fuel mix.
0: Welcome to the IGNIO Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the IGNIO investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening.
2: Welcome to the twentieth episode of Keeping It Real Assets. My name is Alistair Neal. I'm a managing director in the European team at IGNIO Infrastructure Partners. And today I'm gladly joined by Preet Koit, the CEO of Utilitas, which is IGNIO's Estonian district heating and renewables business. Before we start, and maybe for the benefit also of our global listeners who may not be as familiar with Estonia. Estonia is located in North Europe, between Finland to the north and Latvia to the south. It's a relatively small country in population with approximately 1.4 million people. The capital city, Tallinn is just over 50 miles south of Finland's capital, Helsinki. And due to its long coastline and heavily forested land, Estonia is very biodiverse. Estonia is a member of the EU and NATO since 2004, OECD since 2010, and the Eurozone since 2011, and consistently ranks highly in international rankings for quality of life, education, press freedom, digitalization of public services, and the prevalence of technology companies. So today, we'll be talking about the recent turbulence in European energy markets, largely driven by the war in Ukraine, path to net zero for Estonia, and the major role Utilitas will play in this. Welcome to the pod, Preet. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi Alistair, thank you for having me.
2: And would you be able to give a little bit of an introduction to what Utilitas is, how it's developed over the last, well I guess 10 years since you've been at the helm?
1: The main part of Utilitas is district heating. In a few words, what district heating is, it's an urban energy solution where heat from centralized production units is distributed to buildings across cities through a large network of pipes full of hot water. So it's something that is used to heat the buildings, but not just space heating, but also domestic hot water. It is the most common type of heating in uh, Estonian cities. And the reason for using it, it is the most sustainable and the most cost competitive solution in an urban environment. Its share in the heat supply is roughly 60%. And Estonia obviously is a country in Northern Europe. So heat is consumed for at least eight months of the year and at twice the volume of electricity. We are the largest district heating provider in Estonia, so over one third of the country's district heating customers are connected to utilities networks. And actually, uh, just today, uh, I got a report from our team that we passed the magic level of 20 million square meters of space, 20 million square meters is the amount of space in buildings across eight cities in Estonia that we heat.
2: District heating is the main part of the business. What else is Utilitas active in?
1: We have added over the past 10 years also uh, renewable energy production in uh, wind and also solar. We are by now the largest renewable energy producer in Estonia if you take heat and electricity combined. And you should because it's a northern country and more than 50% of energy is actually consumed as heat. We have also added operations in Latvia and Lithuania. So we are by now the largest wind park operator in Latvia as well. We have increased the share of renewables in the district heating operations, but also complemented that with additional renewable energy production capacity. As an example, the city of Tallinn was the European green capital of this year. And naturally, any topics around carbon neutrality, how to achieve that, they have been very high on the agenda. And it is our task and, and our role to help them in their goals on that. So one of the additions is new solar park that we are adding next to our CHPs. That's within the city limits. We actually decided to call that symbolically also the European Green Capital Solar Park. So the next time you land in Tallinn, you will see both our CHPs, but also the large solar park next to that.
2: There's obviously been a huge amount of turbulence in the macro environment, largely driven by the war in Ukraine which has had a major impact on energy markets all across Europe, both on the short term and also the long term. Please could you give the listeners a little bit of a flavor in terms of how this has impacted Estonia and Utilitas directly?
1: We have had quite a new thinking process, how to handle that, how to increase the security of supply. But at the same time, we've known that theoretically, the fossil fuels can be used as a geopolitical weapon. At some point in time, it has been used in the past. And so that's why uh, and the likelihood of that happening again was there all the time. So that's why we've always prepared for that. Just 15 years ago, all our district heating networks were fully reliant on natural gas. Before that, uh, even heavy fuel oil at some stage. But we've set out to decrease that reliance and have been successful in that. So currently we have already decarbonized our networks uh, by 70%. So that means that we have reduced the share of imported fossil fuels by 70%. So we have added combined heat and power plants, which are based on locally sourced biomass residues. We have added waste uh, to energy incinerators to the network and now are also adding newer and newer technologies just to reduce the share of imported fuels. We are a vital uh, service provider, so we need to make sure that we can deliver heat to the customers without uh, any interruptions. And that is why we have uh, constantly added on local solutions to be resilient and to be independent from power supply in the network, for example. So the CHPs are, or the combined heat and power plants, they're able to operate in island mode, even if there's a electricity grid blackout. I'm not saying that this is a likely scenario, but you better be safe than sorry. So we're adding backup generators to the local smaller production units and so on and so forth, just to make sure that we are always able to deliver to our customers.
2: And that renewable fuel mix that you mentioned, Utilitas still has some gas exposure, in particular in the peak months, peak winter months. But that has protected a lot of the Utilitas customers from maybe some of the energy bill experiences we've seen in our country, for example, myself have a gas boiler and energy bills went up, I think, five or sixfold within the spate of two months. The Utilitas customers were much more protected than that. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Reducing reliance on the extremely volatile imported fossil fuels has indeed paid off. The increase in gas prices was similar to what you mentioned happened to your supplier, It was the same here for those who were solely reliant on gas, but because of the much smaller share of gas in in our district heating uh, operations, the increase uh, price obviously was also fed in district heating, but uh, it didn't even reach double the level what it was before.
2: In the short term, the impacts you mentioned around the war in Ukraine, clearly the gas prices impacted a huge amount in the short term. Are you seeing any longer term impacts from what's happened in particular regarding Estonia's net zero progress and long term ambitions?
1: In the utilities case, we set up a plan how to reach carbon neutrality by 2030, already prior to the aggression in Ukraine that started last year. So we were already in that direction. So what we have done after that is to add this at latest 2030 So uh, it was speeding up the process. And I think everyone else understands that the importance of energy security, the importance of not being reliant on something which can be manipulated. So it just has been even more understood. And that's on national, municipal and corporate level as well.
2: 2030 is not far away. What are the technologies that Estonia is looking at to deliver this?
1: Estonia is a northern country, so it's a combination of renewables that's going to lead the path. We have had quite a substantial boost in solar addition to the network. So current installed capacity in Estonia already exceeds the consumption of electricity during sunny days in the summer. That's, of course, due to the fact that our cooling demands are not as high as, let's say, in southern part of Europe Uh, That also means that we cannot solely rely on sun providing the electricity because there are rather short days in this part of the year and heavy electricity consumption. So that is why wind is the renewable source which will have the main role in this transition because the highest production of wind is also during the first and fourth quarter of the year exactly matching the times when we need electricity most. We are also developing both onshore wind farms, but also are developing offshore wind farms. So we believe that there's a combination of such assets which will ultimately help the government to reach its 2013 targets.
2: When you compare across Europe on all the various targets, it's clear to me that Estonia has some of the more ambitious targets across all of Europe we talked about the 100% renewable electricity target by 2030. If I look at here in the UK, the 100% targets in 2035. If we look at Germany, they have an 80% target for 2030. Why do you think Estonia is being more ambitious on this front than maybe other countries?
1: I hope that we wouldn't really stop would just decarbonize electricity, but rather have a more ambitious target of decarbonizing also the other sectors. So let's say heat is already more than 60% decarbonized. So if there is more electricity that is renewable available, this will also impact the share of renewable heat. And we're lagging behind in transportation now. It's roughly just 12% share of renewables there, but we all know that electromobility is coming and it's coming in an accelerated pace. The transition wouldn't be linear, but it can be much, much faster. And so there's a potential there.
2: The, The heart of it is what you said earlier around the build out of the onshore, offshore and solar production capacity in Estonia. What's the scale of the amount of development that needs to be done to hit that 2030 target?
1: Well, it's seven to ten, tenfold increase from the current production capacity. So there's quite a bit of work to be done.
2: Yes, sevenfold increase is no small endeavor, especially given we're at the end of 2023. There's six years to go to get there. What we've often seen, the practicalities of this is always more difficult than often what's on paper. And consistently both across our portfolio companies, but also when we've looked at transaction opportunities for investment. There's a consistent theme that a lot of these projects take longer than envisaged. And the most common cause are twofold. One is the complicated and often lengthy planning and permitting processes that are required to construct renewable electricity generation. And the second is insufficient grid capacity for this new renewable electricity. Is this also the case in Estonia and how are you approaching these challenges given the six years left to go?
1: Well, these are indeed universal uh, universal issues. So it's the same story here. Permitting takes a long time and obviously, grid potential is not fully used when it comes to adding new suppliers. So it's a very common topic. What one shouldn't do is obviously think that there is a 2030 target and then maybe we start with permitting just in 2028. We would never reach there. But now I think we have still enough time to get there.
2: And we've talked about Estonia and the net zero and the renewable targets for Estonia. What's Utilitas' role in all of this?
1: We are the largest renewable energy producer. We are the largest district heating operator. So I think our role is to also set the tone in that path. And we have set two fairly clear goals to be carbon neutral by 2030. And carbon neutrality, we define it as uh, we need to report and we do report to our customers already now what is the carbon footprint of the energy that they consume, that we supply. And we want to be able to issue... A document to them, of course in a digital form, but <laughs> a document to them saying and confirming that it is carbon neutral by 2030 at the latest. And at the same time, the second target is to produce only renewable energy by that time. We are focusing on adding new production capacity for heat production that includes using the energy that's in wastewater and also seawater. So we are adding large-scale industrial heat pumps. So that's one source. The other is really to look into harnessing the potential of energy in in seawater.
2: And this investment will be, in essence, to replace the current gas within the system?
1: That's correct. There will be a certain role for peak uh, and reserve boilers in the system, but our aim is to decrease that to a minimum level. So uh, the first target is to to decrease the share of fossil fuels in Tallinn District heating below 10% by 2027 already, and then uh, continue with full decarbonization.
2: To give a sense of scale, you know, this net zero 2030 target that Utilitas is targeting on the heating side is a material investment. It's over 600 million euros of capital expenditure over the next six years, so it's no small task ahead. To play devil's advocate on the other side, it is a huge amount of investment, and someone has to pay for that. And obviously decarbonisation, improving security of supply is incredibly important. But what about the affordability for the end consumer who over the last few years have seen their energy bills in Estonia, you mentioned double, in the UK, well, much, much worse by the sight of my recent energy bill.
1: It has to be affordable. That is why we are looking at any sources of potential energy efficiency. We are also driving the decrease in the share of imported fossil fuels. Of course, you need to make investments, so that's clear as well. We ask the question: Is this future-proof? Is it something which would work in 10, 20, 30 years? Is it something that we believe that will be around for such a long time? It's a long payback, so that's the normal technical working time of such assets. Investing into fossil solutions today, even if they seemed or seemed cheaper in a short run you're absolutely certain that they will be priced out or they will be taxed out or they will be removed from the system in the future
2: anyway. So You also mentioned a little bit earlier on in the podcast around the three main energy sectors, uh, heat, transport, and power. A lot of the projects you're looking at are now looking to become much more integrated, those three sectors together. And I remember we've spoken about it in the past around sector coupling, which is very much the key buzzword that we hear. Could you explain a little bit about what sector coupling is and why it's important in the ambitions of both Utilitas and Estonia to reach net zero?
1: In Estonia energy is consumed in three main sectors. Heat is roughly 50 percent, electricity 25 percent and transport roughly 25 percent. And of course they are not uh, separate uh, in their own a good example of sector coupling is the combined heat and power plants that we operate. So we are producing electricity to the grid, roughly 30 to 35% efficiency is when you produce electricity, but then the rest of the energy content in the fuel supplied there is released as heat because we have combined heat and power plant next to the city, so we can use this heat To heat the buildings, that means that we get 2.5, three times more energy out of the same fuel mix compared to a conventional condensing power plant, where the efficiency is just you know 30 to 40 percent. And our CHPs are operating close to 100 percent. The difference is just so massive, and that's a good example of how you need less energy if you handle two of the sectors in a combined manner. And of course, since we are Located with these plants next to the city, so there are smaller losses in the electricity grid, which of course is more cost efficient. Taking Tallinn as an example, we produce more electricity in the combined heat and power plants than all our district heating customers consume. In addition, there's power left over, which is sufficient to cover the public transportation electricity needs. So the trams, trolley buses. So that's a good example of sector coupling. Another example uh, is finding additional efficiencies from water and wastewater and uh, district heating operation cooperation. So two years ago, we also acquired a 20% stake in Tallinn water and wastewater operator, Tallinn And we believe that, of course, it's good for the environment and also for customers' wallets if one can run the renovation of networks in a coordinated manner. So that's why operating these two grids, the district heating grid and the water-wastewater grid, is important. There's a lot of debate about whether hydrogen production is energy efficient, and the efficiency of the cycle is very often one of the main arguments or contra-arguments. But let's say if you produce hydrogen, then 70% of the electricity is converted into hydrogen, but 30% is normally just waste heat, so it has to be cooled down so the process can carry on. But the process is conducted exactly at 80 degrees centigrade. So by having the electrolyzer next to our district heating network where we use 80 degrees supply temperature most of the year, I mean we can just use the waste heat instead of throwing this 30% of energy away, we could just use it over there. Hydrogen can be used for public transportation as well.
2: It's pretty clear that the more integrated those three energy sectors can become in the future the easier it's going to be to provide lower cost, lower emission energy to the consumer. And finally, pre you've recently arrived back from the COP28 summit in Dubai, where you were part of the Estonian delegation, clearly a very important summit, given it's the halfway point, I guess, between the Paris 2015 agreement and the 2030 pledges that have been made. What did you take away from the summit?
1: It is an important summit, and I think it's important that people across globe are gathering in such form and format. So there are a lot of discussions and efforts being put into it to reach a common goal. I think the overall understanding is that everyone shares the idea that something needs to be done to save the planet. So that seems to be shared by all the parties. But there are also differences in the anticipated pace and also the methods that need to be used for this. So I think the very positive news is obviously that we are seeing commitments to increase production of renewable energy. So 118 countries backed pledge to triple world's renewable energy capacity by 2030. We also saw many countries who believe that just carbon capture is the solution. So we see very different approaches. It is truly our role to develop a cost-efficient and renewable-based energy supply model that can be adopted quickly in cities across the world. And it's also very important to share the experiences. So there's a lot to be done. There are many, many paths that theoretically can be taken, but it's just very important that actions are taken, investments are made, and instead of just talk, there's also actions
2: an exciting summit to be and to be part of those discussions, I'm sure. Preet, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you as always. Thank you. Thank you, Alistair.
0: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Ignia Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Ignio Infrastructure Partners on your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Ignio Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at ignioip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by IGNIO Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Ignio Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on IGNIO infrastructure partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Centier Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Sentier Investors' registration number 53236800B and Ignio Infrastructure Partners' registration number 53447928J are business divisions of First Sentier Investors Singapore.